Well, it's a great privilege for me to welcome to the sacred desk of Lakeview Church, Pastor Jim Barnes from comes all the way from St. Louis, Missouri to be with us. I've known Jim for many years. I, he knew me when I weighed 320 pounds, and, and I, I knew him when he was a bit lighter and no gray hair. I remember his first ministry uh, in the Chicago area and uh, stayed in his home a number of times. He has a wonderful family and very bright children, and uh, he's done a great service. And he's been a bold warrior for the Lord as long as I've known him. And uh, so it is a privilege, Jim, and an honor to invite you to bring our message this day. Thank you. It's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, before I begin, I do uh, represent the Evangelical Association, and we have a brochure that looks like this. We've left a few of those out on the table, so if you're interested in learning more about the association, I'll be speaking about that this evening after the fellowship dinner in great detail. But if you're not able to make it tonight to the, to the meeting tonight, uh, you're welcome to pick up one of these brochures. They're out on the table as you exit the church this morning. <clears throat> as Jerry mentioned, the Evangelical Association is a network of churches uh, all over the United States, including several right here in North Carolina that have decided that they need to take a stand for the truth of the gospel in a society that is often uninterested in that. And in many cases, even in churches that are uninterested in that. Just as this church, over 20 years ago, departed from a very liberal denomination that had rejected the authority of scripture, so too a lot of the churches that are in the Evangelical Association have a very similar story in that they decided that the scripture was more important than the false teachings that were being promulgated by some in church leadership even, that they had to take a stand. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to share what our ministry is with you, especially later this evening uh, following the fellowship dinner. Today I want to share with you a scripture passage, scripture reading actually. Both of them are taken from Second Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to just read a few different verses that are found in there. This is where the Apostle Paul is giving some advice, important advice to his protege, Timothy, about how to be a minister. And while it's easy for people to say, well, that's advice for ministers like ordained clergy who stand up in pulpits every Sunday, I would argue that much of the advice that Paul gives to Timothy actually applies to every Christian. Because in some sense, every one of us is a minister. When we go out of this place and spend the rest of our week in our schools, in our jobs, in our communities, we are Christ's ministers to the people around us. And so the advice that Paul gives to Timothy, I think, applies really to almost every Christian. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And then he goes on and gives some examples of that in the early church. Now I'm going to jump ahead to verse 23 of 2 Timothy 2, where Paul is continuing his advice, and he says, 
Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And then if we jump ahead in 2 Timothy, there's another really well-known passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-4, through 4, where Paul says this, He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. May God bless this, the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Amen. I had the opportunity to visit a church that's part of our association up in New England a couple years ago. They were celebrating their 275th anniversary. It was a congregational church in Connecticut. In other words, this congregational church was founded before the United States was even a country. 275 years old. And what was really fascinating to me is when I was asking the people at that church in New England about the history of their church, they told me that back in the day when that church was started, 275 years ago, there was a law in the colonies that said if you were going to start a new town, you couldn't start the town until you built a church. Think about that. In the original colonies of the United States, in certain parts of them, there were laws that said if you wanted to form a brand new town, you could not start the town until you first built the church. The church had to come first. And once you had the church built, then you could build a city hall, then you could build a town. But the town had to be built around the Christian church. Can you imagine a law like that existing nowadays? Of course not. I mean, here we are now, almost 300 years later, and New England is one of the least churched parts of the country. Today, in most parts of the country, when a new residential community is being built, the last thing on the developer's mind is building a church. In fact, most of the time, if you're going to build a planned community nowadays, you're more worried about whether it's going to have a golf course and a swimming pool than whether it's going to have a church. And in many areas, in some parts of the country, the church is even becoming viewed in a negative way in the sense that people don't want new churches coming into their community because they view them as a burden because they take property off the tax rolls. You see, when the U.S. was being formed as a country, Christian churches were viewed as a vital and necessary part of every little town. These days, they're often viewed as a meaningless leftover from days gone by or even, in some cases, an annoyance that gets in the way 
of building more profitable ventures in that community. To put it very bluntly, the culture that our churches are existing in nowadays is very different from the culture that they existed in back in the days when our country was being founded. We're living in changing times. It's not hard to tell. You just have to look around. And the hard reality that we as Christians need to face in this kind of environment is that this church, along with other Bible-believing evangelical churches in the United States, we are moving forward into a culture that is becoming increasingly less Christian and in some cases openly hostile to Christianity. Recent surveys show that there are more and more people in our country, as Gerald alluded to earlier, who identify themselves as nothing when you ask them what their religious preference is. They even have a term for these folks. There's been books written about them. They call them the the nuns, N-O-N-E, the rise of the nuns. And it's particularly prevalent among younger people. Younger people are, in a higher percentage, more likely to check the box if they're asked what their religious preference is on a survey. They are more likely to check the box that says no religious interest, no religious preference, none. And because our worldview as Christians is increasingly not the worldview that's being held by the people around us, what is going to happen is Bible-believing Christians are going to find ourselves confronted with more and more opportunities to have conversations with people who are not starting with any of the same assumptions that we are when we start to have a conversation about any particular topic. The question is, can we still be a blessing to those people? Is the church going to just have to suddenly become like its own private little ghetto where nobody comes in and nobody goes out? Or are we going to continue to fulfill Jesus' great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to bring the name of Jesus to people who do not know him, even if they're living right next door, right here in our own country? Can we be a blessing to people, even if those people are starting with an ideology or a worldview that is completely opposite of ours and completely opposite of God's revealed will found in the Bible? Can we be a blessing to people even if those people are starting with an ideology or a worldview that is actually hostile towards God and towards his teachings? I think the answer is yes, but I also think it's going to be a lot harder than what we're used to. It's going to require that those of us who call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, we are going to have to be willing to engage in what you might want to call controversial conversations. And that's not going to be easy for a lot of Christians because most of us don't like controversy. How many of us wake up every morning saying, I hope I can get involved in a controversy today? You know, most of us, we just want to kind of live our lives quietly. We don't want to cause a lot of trouble. We don't want to get into arguments all the time with people. We want to go through life and we want to have friends. We want people to like us. You know, so most of us, we avoid controversy at every cost, at at all cost. But the truth is, 
in the future, as Christians, we are going to have to be willing to have controversial conversations with people if we want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, if you look up the word controversy in the dictionary, the definition goes like this. It says a controversy is a discussion marked especially by the expression of opposing views. So it's when one person thinks one way and another person thinks another way and they try to have a conversation about it. That's a controversial conversation. And as I said, I think we Christians are going to have more and more opportunities to have conversations with people over issues of controversy with each passing year because the general worldview of the people around us is changing so fast and so radically that those of us who hold a Christian worldview are beginning to look very, very different from the rest of our culture. And that's not the way it always was in this country. You could argue that even 40, 50 years ago, this was generally a Judeo-Christian country. That means 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, most people, even if they didn't go to church very often, they had some basic understanding of Christian morality. They had some basic understanding of Christian values. When you did surveys even 20 years ago, I remember when I was pastoring a local church, the surveys that were coming out 20 years ago were saying that huge percentages of the American population believed that the Bible was God's word. They believed that Jesus was God's son. And they knew that Jesus did something for our, for our forgiveness. So that was just sort of a general knowledge base held even by people who didn't go to church. But that's not the case anymore. Our culture is becoming much more like Europe, where people just have no clue about anything related to Christianity. And if anything, they're coming from a perspective that is very much the opposite of what Christianity teaches. So the question is, how do we have those conversations with people? Because they're going to come up, and they're going to come up not just with strangers, they're going to come up with people you know. The people with whom you're going to have to have controversial conversations might be your own kids. They might be your own next-door neighbors. They might be your own uh, parents. They might be your own brother or sister. They may be people in your family. They may be people that you work with who are coming at life from a completely different point of view than you are. And if you want to be a witness for Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to talk to them even if it's involving a controversial, controversial topic. So I want to suggest a few biblical principles that I think can help us when we do muster up the courage to have these controversial conversations with people. And the first thing I'd like you to notice is this. If you're a Christian and you're seeking to speak God's truth in the midst of a conflicting ideology, It's always important that you as a Christian continue to remember the power of the prophetic. The power of the prophetic. Now, when I say prophetic, that conjures up a lot of things in different people's minds. So let me see if I can explain. In the Old Testament, the prophets were really, really good at speaking the truth to people who didn't want to hear it. When you read the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those guys, Amos, all of them, you realize that what they spent most of their time doing was giving people information that the people did not want to hear. And that's kind of the situation that we as Christians find ourselves in in our society nowadays. 
We are often going to be put in situations where we need to give people information that they really don't want to hear. God sometimes calls Christians to be modern-day prophets, people who speak forth God's truth. Now, with the prophets in the Bible, sometimes that involved telling the future, you know, because that's what some people think about prophecy. Oh, prophecy is predicting the future. Well, when you read the Old Testament, sometimes it was predicting the future, but a lot of times it was just giving people information they needed for today, for the very day that they were in. Sometimes the prophets were letting people know uh, what God wanted for them at that very moment in their lives. And that's the kind of prophecy that I think most of us are called to do as Christians. I don't think there's too many of us who are called to predict the future. But we are called to be prophets in the sense that we are called to speak forth God's truth into the situation in which we find ourselves right here, right now. Let me just give you an example of how the prophet Jeremiah did this back in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 38, uh, God has instructed Jeremiah to give the people a message that they definitely did not want to hear. Basically, God has told Jeremiah, I want you to tell the people that because they've been so rebellious against me, I'm turning them over to the Babylonians. And so he basically told Jeremiah, you need to announce this to my people. You need to say, because you've rebelled against God, God is turning us over to the, to the Babylonians, and they're going to capture us, and they're going to take us over. Now, the Israelites obviously were not real happy to hear that. So they decided to go after Jeremiah. Listen to these words from the book of Jeremiah in chapter 38. Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord says. Everybody who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease. But those who surrender to the Babylonians, I mean, look at that, he's telling God's people to turn out, just surrender. Wave the white flag and let the Babylonians take you over. So Jeremiah says, God, God says that if you surrender to the Babylonians, you won't die, you'll live. The Lord also says the city of Jerusalem will surely be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon who's going to capture it. So, when Jeremiah announces this truth to the people, they don't like what they hear. And so the officials of the people, they go to the king and they say, Sir, this guy needs to die. That kind of talk is going to undermine the morale of the few fighting men we still have left, as well as of all the people. This man is a traitor, they said to the king. And so King Zedekiah agreed with his officials, and he said, okay, do as you like, I'll do nothing to stop you. In other words, do whatever you want to Jeremiah. So the officials took Jeremiah from his cell, and they lowered him by ropes into an empty cistern in a prison yard, it belonged to Malkajah, a member of the royal family. And it said there was no water in the cistern, but there was a thick layer of mud at the bottom, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Now, do you see what happened there? Jeremiah was willing to speak out and tell people what God said about their situation, even though he knew he was going against popular opinion. Jeremiah was not afraid to tell people the truth, even though he knew it would make them mad. In fact, he knew it would make them so mad that they would try to kill him, which is what they did. Sometimes our job, sometimes as Christians, is to speak God's truth, 
even if it makes other people mad. And the reason we're to remember the power of the prophetic is because when a Christian speaks prophetically, when we speak God's truth, we are not simply sharing our own opinion with somebody, but instead we are telling the other person what the scripture itself actually teaches. And when we share the word of God with someone, it's going to have an impact on their lives, even if they say they don't want to hear it. You see, God's word has power that goes beyond words. It goes beyond anything that we can say with our mouths. And as Christians, we should never underestimate the power of God's word to impact a person's life, even if they are initially seeming very resistant to what they're hearing. In Isaiah chapter 55, it says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, God says, that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And in Hebrews chapter 4, the scripture says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, in all those verses, we're reminded that God's word has power in and of itself. And when we as Christians speak God's truth in the middle of a challenging or even a controversial situation, the promise that God gives us is that his word and his truth has the power to change people's attitudes even if at first they don't want to hear it. I know that's what happened to me in my own life when I was a young man. When I was in college, I was super liberal. When I was in college, I was so liberal in my beliefs about God that I basically thought that everybody was going to go to heaven. I was a universalist. And it didn't matter if you believed in Jesus. It didn't matter if you were a Buddhist or a Muslim or Hindu. It didn't matter what you believed or it didn't matter. Even if you were an atheist, I believed you were going to go to heaven. I was a total universalist, super liberal. Well, I had a friend who became a Christian while we were in college. And he began to realize how messed up my thinking was. And so he, he started talking to me about what the Bible actually says. Oh, man, was I resistant. I argued with him up and down, left and right backwards and forwards about why he was wrong and I was right. But in order to prove my point, I also started reading the Bible because I'd never read it. So I started reading the Bible, and what happened was over a short period of time, God's word changed me, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But my friend, he was willing to have that controversial conversation with me even though I was resisting him and I was telling him he was nuts and he was narrow-minded and he was a, he was a you know, right-wing, conservative, whatever, he was willing to keep talking to me and letting me investigate for myself and God's word began to change me from the inside out. And that's the power of God's word. God's word can change people even when we don't think it can. 
So the next time you're in a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with the teachings of Jesus, don't be afraid to tell them what the teachings of Jesus are, even if they don't like them. You don't have to be mean about it, but don't be afraid to tell people who are saying something totally contradictory to what Jesus teaches. Don't be afraid to tell them what Jesus actually teaches from the words of Scripture. And they may resist you and they may not like what you have to say, but say it anyway. Because you never know what God might do with that truth once it begins to sink into their heart and their mind. Then a second thing I'd like you to notice is as a Christian speaking the truth, when you find yourself in a conflicting situation with someone, you should always try to speak primarily with gentleness and love rather than with anger and venom. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, the Bible says this. It says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. See, the problem some Christians have is some Christians don't ever know how to be gentle. Some Christians are always like a bull in a china shop. Some Christians always come across as angry no matter what it is they're trying to say about God can't tell you how many times I've seen those who call themselves Christian activists who get recorded in the news spewing forth all kinds of venom and anger as they try to get across their message to people who don't agree with them. I went to a seminar not too long ago where a guy was, uh, had, had done, a, his company had done a bunch of research about what people believe about Christians in our society nowadays, and they had interviewed people all over the United States about their understanding of different Christian terms, and they, they, I think they use the word evangelical Christian. They said, what comes to your mind when you think of an evangelical Christian? And some huge percentage of people who were unchurched, the very first thing that came to their mind was the Westboro Baptist Church. Now, if you know who the Westboro Baptist Church is, that's that group that shows up at military funerals with the anti-gay signs. And they say that the whole country's going to go to hell in a handbasket for all these different reasons. They're really mean and nasty, and they, and they show up at veterans' funerals, and they're very negative and, and all that. And the sad thing is, because of the way they've been portrayed in the news, a lot of unchurched people out there, when they hear the term evangelical Christian, the first thing pops in their mind is Westboro Baptist Church. They think that's what evangelical Christian means. Now, do you think they're going to change a lot of people's minds? Do you think that when that group stands at a military funeral and protests, do you think that's going to change people's attitudes about homosexuality? I doubt it. If anything, it's going to make people want to move more the other direction. Or think about the abortion issue. How many pro-abortion people have been changed by having somebody stand on a sidewalk and yell, you're a baby killer? That doesn't usually change hearts, does it? The reality is when you do hear about an abortion provider changing their heart or when you hear of a woman who was going to have an abortion who decides not to, usually it's not because somebody stood and yelled baby killer at them. It's usually because a Christian showed them love. 
a Christian showed them gentleness and offered to show them that there is a way to affirm life and still deal with an unplanned pregnancy. It's clear most of the time, love and gentleness wins out over anger and venom when it comes to changing people's minds and hearts when they're holding on to ideologies that conflict with God. As Christians, we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how, when we're being challenged on our beliefs, to be willing to hold firm to our beliefs, but to do it with gentleness and respect. I don't know what you all think about Rick Warren. Rick Warren's the pastor that wrote The Purpose Driven Life a number of years ago. He's a pastor in a giant megachurch out in San Diego area. And because he's pastors gigantic church, every once in a while they get him on the national news. Whenever there's some controversial thing going down, they want his opinion on it. And what's interesting, regardless of what you think about Rick Warren's uh, point of view on you know, whatever, the way he runs his church or anything, the thing I've always been impressed with with Rick Warren is that when they interview him on TV... And they're always trying to, it's usually a really liberal reporter who's trying to get him to cave on an issue, like maybe the gay marriage issue or something like that. Whenever they try to dig in and see if he's going to waffle on that, he always very calmly, with a big smile on his face, explains to them that his church believes in traditional things, traditional marriage, they value life, etc. But he does it with such gentleness and such respect towards the reporter that there's no way the reporter can get mad at him because he's so gentle and he's so loving in his approach. And that's the way Christians need to be. We need to hold firm to the truth when we're dealing with controversial situations, when we're talking to people, friends, relatives, neighbors, who don't agree with us, when they're debating us on whatever hot issue of the day it might be. We need to hold to the Christian position, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect towards the person we're speaking to. The prophets were not angry all the time. You know, a lot of times when we read the Old Testament prophets, we assume the prophets were always standing up screaming and yelling at the people. But they weren't. One of the favorite words of the prophets in the Old Testament is the word woe. They would say, woe to you if you continue doing this. Woe to you if you continue doing that. And a really good definition of the word woe in the Old Testament is simply death. In other words, the prophets were basically saying to the people, you know, guys, if you keep doing this, you're going to die. If you keep running your car down that road, you're going to go off the cliff. You're going to die. And most of the time, the prophets weren't angry. Most of the time, the prophets were sad because they loved the people. They loved the people who were going off the wrong direction. And so when they announced to them, you're going the wrong direction. If you keep going that way, you're going to die. It broke the prophets' hearts. And as Christians, that's the attitude we need to have. When we see someone going the wrong direction, instead of being mad at them, we should be heartbroken for them and let our love and gentleness come forth in the way we talk to them. That's what Jesus did. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 13? He's looking at Jerusalem, which is getting ready to kill him. And he says to Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and those sent to and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus wept over the people who were walking astray. 
As Christians, God wants you and me, he wants us as Christians to be willing to challenge people, but to do it without being angry at them all the time. As Christians, we should challenge people by firmly sticking to the truth of God's word, but also by showing them, showing them gentleness and love. And then third, as Christians who want to speak the truth in controversial situations, we have to be willing to confess our own failings. 1 Timothy 1, the Apostle Paul shows us exactly what I'm talking about here. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. And then he goes on and he says, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You see, Paul, he was never afraid to tell people God's truth. But he also was never afraid to tell them what a sinner he was and how much he needed God's grace and forgiveness in his life. And that's a very important thing that we Christians need to remember as we try to talk with people who have alternative worldviews. Because one of the problems is a lot of times Christians, we come off kind of cocky. Some people, if you ask unbelievers, how do you view Christians? They say, well, those are the people who got it all together. Those are the people who think they're right all the time. They're the people who seem to be the, you know, the ones who, 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 who don't understand my pain, my suffering. When we talk about tough topics, especially when we're talking about topics that relate to sin and to relate to the sins of others, we have to make sure we always admit that the other person's sin is no different from our sin. If you're arguing with someone about homosexuality or you're arguing with somebody about some other controversial topic, don't act like one sin is more than another. All sin is the same in God's eyes. The sins that you and I have are no different than the sins that other people have. And we have to be humble about that. God is the great forgiver. And when it comes to getting involved in a conversation with someone, particularly with someone who doesn't believe in the Lord, it is critically important that we speak in such a way that we let the other person know that we struggle with our own sin and we need God's forgiveness and his mercy just as much as everybody else. And then fourth and finally, as Christians, when we speak the word of truth in the face of conflicting ideologies, sometimes we just got to admit when a question has no clear answer or when we're not sure how to answer it. Nobody likes a know-it-all. And let's face it, there are some Christians who try to act like they are know-it-all. Some Christians go around through life acting like they have the definitive answer on every question a person can possibly ask on every single topic. There are some Christians who try to act as if God has nailed down everything so clearly that you can literally pick up the Bible and figure out what size tire to buy for your car. But it doesn't work that way. The Bible never makes those kind of claims, nor does God. 
As Bible-believing Christians, we believe the Bible is accurate in all matters to which it speaks. But let's face it, there are a lot of issues the Bible doesn't talk about. And there are even some parts of the Bible that are left open to multiple interpretations. When we get involved in a conversation with somebody whose ideology is in conflict with ours, it's important that we're honest about our ignorance. In Titus chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, the scripture says this. It says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Some Christians give Christianity a bad name, because they're always telling people what God says, even when there may be no clear evidence that God said it. It's a dangerous thing to say that you're speaking for God unless you really are. That's why a Christian should always be careful to show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech when we try to explain to other people what God says about different topics. When we don't know it all, we need to make sure we admit that we don't know it all. As Christians, we need to have sober judgment of ourselves so that we know when to speak and when to be silent. So that we know when to proclaim, God, proclaim God's truth with conviction and when to say, hey, you know, I really don't know. Or even admit that maybe the other person's interpretation of a scriptural passage may be valid and maybe mine is not. If we speak the truth with this attitude, we will, as the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose us may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. The simple fact of the matter is, you and I, we are not living in the 1700s when the law said you had to start a church before you could build a town. We're not living in a time in history when the Judeo-Christian worldview was the dominant view in our culture. It's not. Not anymore. Instead, we're living in a time when all of us are going to be faced with opportunities to have conversations with people who have a totally different ideology from us. And when we have those conversations on controversial topics... My hope is that you will use the tools that God has given you to be a good witness for him in a world where so many people would rather ignore his truth. Let me close with these words from 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26, where the scripture says this, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will then come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see, my friends, sometimes our willingness to speak the truth even in the face of conflicting ideologies with people who disagree with us, oftentimes 
that will be the very tool that God will use to bring that other person to the knowledge of their salvation. It's an awesome privilege to be able to have a controversial conversation with someone. Amen.